morning. If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to uh, the book of Jonah. Um, the book of Jonah, we'll be reading chapter 3, uh, verses 5 to 10. Jonah 3, 5 to 10. So, uh, I'm excited and a little bit nervous about uh, speaking on the topic at hand this morning. Um, in fact, I did try and duck it a few times, as I often do. Um, um, but as I was preparing, I really felt God wanted us to dive in. And he gave us these three words. Give, uh, um, to dive in with faith, fervor, that means zeal and passion, and fire this morning about the whole topic of Christian revival. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. What makes me nervous about that? That's the question. What makes me nervous about that? Well, the big reason is this. I'm not God. Just in case you haven't noticed. Um, if you're a visitor here, by the way, my name's Raj. You're very welcome. Um, and I just want to say to you, and repeat that again, I'm not God. Thank goodness. Um, despite what I say today, I want you to get this. Revival, revival. So any human speaking about this, there are challenges because revival is God's domain. And throughout history, we've seen God bring his revival in so many different forms and ways and patterns. And the many things that I've read about it, if you like, over the last few weeks, try and box God, try and create a, a DIY list, try and put um, something together like the 10 steps to revival. Listen, that's not what I want to do this morning. Rather, rather, I felt God wants us to excite us, excite you and me about the wonder of Jesus. The glory and sovereignty. He does what he does. His grace, our God. His love and his all-out covenant commitment to you and me. His chosen people. That's what the Bible calls you. This morning is about faith rising. Nothing, hear this jubilee, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And that's what we see a glimpse of, if you like, in today's passage in our Jonah series from running to revival. Quick recap for if we have visitors or people new. So far we've seen Jonah is a prophet of God. He's a religious guy. He is the word of God come to him as, as a command to go and preach God's good news and of restoration and transformation and repentance to the evil city of Nineveh, which I think is in today's modern day Iraq. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but rather than Jonah listening to God's word, he does the exact opposite. He sails as far away as he can possibly think of to the edge of the known world at the time, Tarshish. So he ends up on a boat sailing to Tarshish. And the crew realize this, that Jonah is in rebellion towards God. And they basically agree together, look, you've got to jump off this ship if we're going to survive. Because you are not doing what God has called you to. And so he jumps off the ship into the sea. The storm miraculously calms. The, the sailors witness the power of God and bow down in holy fear and worship. And Jonah is incredibly, again, miraculously rescued by a big fish which God provides for him in the sea. And in this live tomb of a fish, if you like, Jonah repents. 
He turns away from his rebellion, at least partially anyway, and recommits himself to the God who is faithful and true. So the big fish then vomits Jonah back onto dry land. Jonah 3 tells us the word of the Lord, we heard Gavin talk about this last week, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. The very same message that sent him off in rebellion to the the distant Tarshish. A second chance, grace upon grace. Gavin opened that up, and Simon, uh, and all of us are actually have opened that up over weeks again and again, because it's a common theme. So John has learned so, this much so far. If God says, do something, do it. Have a think about that. If God says, do something, do it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And so Jonah this time goes to Nineveh and preaches a pretty short sermon actually, seemingly begrudged by it all. That's why I say partial repentance. Yet surprisingly, with, yet surprisingly using Jonah, God moves. Revival breaks out in the land, at least again, in a, to a limited fashion. And this is how the passage today describes what happened after Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and tells them what God says. So let's read Jonah 3, 5 to 10. The Ninevites believed God after he gave them their message. A fast was proclaimed, um, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's a sign of repentance and giving their lives to God. When Jonah warns, when, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth himself, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them drink or eat, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Turn to the Lord. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. Social change. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing story again. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of this story. Thank you that you are a God of grace upon grace. I thank you, Lord, that as we open up this passage, as we look to the great revivals of the past, as we think about the great revivals that are going on in China, North Korea, India, Um, Iran, different places in the world. I pray, Holy Spirit, we will rise in faith to to what we think as impossibilities, but definite possibilities for you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we will come alive in faith and expectation of a God who moves mountains. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is revival? 
Well, the dictionary's definition, or one of the dictionary's definition of revival goes something like this. The restoring of a near-dead being to life. The restoring of a near-dead being to life. That's got your attention, hasn't it? But that's what revival is in the context of our faith. Um, A more long-winded but helpful um, uh, definition comes from a guy called Professor Stuart Piggin, um, a real scholar of Christian revivals. And he says this, Revival is a sovereign work of God, the Heavenly Father, manifesting his glory on the earth. It consists of a powerful intensification of the Holy Spirit's normal activity of testifying, declaring to the truth of our Saviour Jesus. Accentuating, really kind of underlying the doctrines of grace. Convicting, converting, regenerating, sanctifying, making people more like Jesus, more holy, in large numbers of people at the same time. Revival is a community together experience. It is occasionally preceded by an expectation that God is about to do something exceptional and usually preceded by an extraordinary unity and prayerfulness amongst Christians. It is always accompanied by the revitalization, bringing life to the church, the conversion of large numbers of believers and the reduction of sinful practices in community. That's that's quite a a summarized view of what this guy has looked at revival in the Bible through his experience of revival across the country and also stories of revival through history in one short paragraph-ish. So biblically, historically, what have been the characteristics of revival, restoration? Quick fire five things. Firstly, firstly, there is always a fresh encounter with the God of grace. The God of grace. In Jonah's life, God shows him grace upon grace. We've just said all that. Despite his rebellion, despite his attitude, despite his racism, despite his pride, God chooses to continue to use him for the great revival of the Ninevites. If you remember the story before David became Israel's king, this is a different story. Before David became Israel's king, the priest Samuel picked the little shepherd boy, picked the little shepherd boy out of seven other strapping young sons who would have seen much more likely candidates to you and me. But the Bible tells us the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, the other sons. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This David becomes the Goliath slayer, as we heard prophetically from Dennis and Malcolm the other day. That's grace. Before the Apostle Peter launches out with the great Pentecost revival that we see in the book of Acts, God restores his three cowardly, unfaithful rejections of Jesus before he goes to the cross with three heartfelt, compassionate, do you love me's, if you remember that. 
On the day of Pentecost, those, and then on the day of Pentecost, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added in number that day. Grace. This is our new frontier story. That's the family of churches we belong to, isn't it? Some of you will know this. Our story was birthed out of a man who saw afresh the wonder of God's grace and mercy in his life. In the early 1960s, Terry Virgo's sister came home. Uh, Marion came home one night from a conference in London saying, I've become a Christian. Terry replied, aren't we all Christians in this country? To which she said, no, no, no. I've been born again. Terry didn't get it. The conversation continued for hours until there came an extraordinary moment. She said, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because if he did, he's alive now. That night, Terry, next, um, um, ne uh, next to his fireplace in the living room, face buried in an armchair, asked Jesus to save him and come into his life. And Jesus did. He writes, I felt it happen. I was suddenly ashamed of all my failure and dirty lifestyle. To my great surprise, I found myself crying, but I knew that I was born again. I went to bed unaware that an extraordinary adventure was about to begin. Today, our New Frontiers family consists of over a thousand churches spanning over 70 plus nations and continues to grow and expand. Amazing grace. Jubilee, this, this, that story is our story. We are here today because God encountered a man 60 years ago. Question, how amazing is God's amazing grace to you? Secondly, during times of revival, there's always been extraordinary kingdom-centered Big, together, corporate, prevailing prayer across the ordinary walls that divide Christians. That's both in and out of the local church. You see, prayer unites us. It gathers us through faith. What's known as the 1858 awakening in, the, uh, in America started a year earlier, earlier with a somewhat obscure man called Jeremy La Jeremiah Lamphia, a city missionary who God laid on his heart to pray for the blessing of his nation. He made some flyers, not many, inviting merchants and mechanics and clerks and strangers and businessmen generally to join him, calling upon God for, an for one hour. On the 23rd of September, 1857, at noon, he opened the doors for the first meeting Five minutes went by, no one. Ten minutes went by, no one. Twenty minutes went by, no one was there. At 12.30, the first person stepped into the room on Fulton Street, Manhattan. By the end of the hour, six people were praying. By the following week, 20 turned up. The week after, 40 were there. Within a few months, following a great financial crash in the city, New York, 
10,000 people were gathering each week at lunchtime to pray with many other churches across the city opening their doors to pray. Over the following three years, more than a million people were added to the American churches. As the great revivalist John Wesley put it, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. On the last Friday of every month, churches across Teesside are gathering here in our towns to pray for revival on Teesside. At our last prayer meeting at Hope, there was a real sense of delight and awe as we encountered God afresh. Every Tuesday morning, ministers, elders, priests gather to pray for this city and each other and our churches. In the little sleepy villages that we live in, nearly 400 people came to pray in this little 12th century, 12th century church over the 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost this year, a few weeks ago. As the Reverend W. Gibson records, after the Great American Awakening started spreading to, over the Atlantic and crossed into Ireland, Ulster, humble, grateful, loving, joyous converts multiplied. The prayer meetings became thronged. The fuse was lit. Jesus is the great tangle teaser, isn't he? That's not a biblical name of God, by the way. You won't find that in Andrew Wilson's book, Incom Incomparable. Question, will we give ourselves to extraordinary, kingdom-centered, corporate, prevailing prayer that crosses the ordinary walls that might divide us? Third, revival often comes in the most unlikely and unexpected ways. There's a creativity, an incredibility of how revivals have broken out and continue to break out across the globe. In our story, Jonah is a defiant prophet who reluctantly goes to this incredibly idolatrous and sinful nation and with eight pretty condemning words, I think, it's let, I think it's five in the Greek, which make up his revival message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh is turned. That's God. He loves to capture our attention. That's why I'm giving you examples of amazing things that have happened. You know what? I'm a stickler for theology. From the depths of my heart, I believe good theology, robust theology, matters. That's a good thing. And so I can get all uptight when I hear some clumsy theology that comes out of various church, church streams. Bethel, for me, is a live challenge. Less so these days, actually, uh, for me personally. But God gets my attention when I start thinking about it and talking about it. Because actually, amazing things are happening amongst this community of people that encompasses Bethel. In the ministry of jo uh, Bill Johnson, amazing things are happening actually in the midst of TSSM training, despite my skepticism, or some. That doesn't make clumsy theology okay. Yeah, that's, that's important. But it does tell me that God works 
in unexpected ways. It humbles me not to create division, but build unity. These are our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Iron sharpens iron. I can grow in faith and learn from them. When I watch YouTube videos of the scary, almost ghost-like figure of the lady called Catherine Kuhlman, her YouTuber, she gives me the heebie-jeebies. She was odd. She was freaky. She hadn't got it all together. But do you know what? God has moved powerfully through her in terms of healing, restoration, and being set free. I believe she was one of the key figures that kicked off the charismatic movement that we are the fruit of today. That might be a controversial statement. I don't know. Whether it's with people in silence or whether it's with charismatic uproar, whether it's in the few who gather to pray or whether it's in the open-air, boisterous street sermons, whether it's through Peggy, an 84-year-old blind, housebound lady praying with her sister on a remote Hebridean island called Lewis, or whether it's on an industrial site in a dead-end street with broken windows and planks nailed to barrels for seating, on Azusa Street, Los Angeles, whether it's on top of a hill in the middle of bleak moorland amongst four poor cottagers in Moorcrop, Stoke-on-Trent, or whether it's through people like Hugh Bourne, one of the main leaders of the primitive Methodism revival, who was so shy and timid that he had to cover his face as he spoke and prayed whether it's through communist, communist-controlled government churches in China, where in some places, on average, 500 people are being baptized every week, or whether it's on the Beaker Island in Fiji, where an entire community of ceremonial firewalkers, whatever they are, were converted and a community previously plagued by agricultural infertility, dying coral, fish depletion, and a rash of mysterious deaths, suddenly over time sprung gloriously back to life. God is on the move. The point is this. God is creative. God begins his revivals in the unlikely places, and he'll do it whether I'm skeptical or not. And this challenges us, challenges all of us to believe him. He moves in the most unexpected ways. We cannot, we cannot, we must not, I must not box God. Do not fear about the giants in the land. There is victory over those giants in Jesus' name. Question, what do you see as impossible for God. What does that unbelief do to you? Because I believe God wants to do something in us about that right now, this morning. Four. In revival, people come alive in big waves. As Jonah preaches, God bursts into the hearts of souls of many. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. What? Who's all of them? All of them means all of them. 
When God moves in power, he moves in all of us. It was great to break bread this morning. You might be listening here thinking, but you might be listening here thinking, as Hannah said this morning, I have too many problems, too many hurdles, too many difficulties with Christianity. And do you know what? That's okay. That's good in a way. I had them too. God doesn't take our brains out the very moment we become a Christian. But let me tell you, you might have problems or hurdles, but the Ninevites had much greater hurdles than you or me. They had much more to lose. They had much more to get over and get round. But you know what? They believed. They believed. They got over their pride and barriers, even the king, and let God in. Maybe that's you this morning. You see, when God the Holy Spirit starts fruiting in his church, people look, the, uh, people look on. People want to be a part of this beautified community. Christians rise in faith for their friends and loved ones and colleagues. They begin to reach out in love to them in striking, creative ways. Kids stick their hands up, giving their lives to Jesus at New Day. The cold tribal attitudes ordinarily present in non-revised churches melt away. Non-believers are drawn in and the church grows at amazing speed. Revival does that. The Spirit of God, when it blows across Teesside, will do that. Nominal church members get converted too. People who profess Christian beliefs, baptized members of the church, suddenly came to realize the greatness of the gospel. Charlotte spent lots of her life in various Christian settings. I remember hearing Charlotte's testimony very relatively recently, actually. Been married for how many years? 16 years. <laughs> Anybody who wants to know how long we've been married, ask Charlotte. Um, and I only heard it probably about a year ago, full testimony at um, a community group. She went to a convent school. She was brought up in a Catholic church. At university, she went to church while working at James Cook. She spent her non-on-call Sunday mornings, not many, at St. Joseph's Church, I think it's called, opposite the hospital. Charlotte was baptized as a baby. She was confirmed later on in life. But her testimony on that, on that evening is that she really only got the gospel of grace for real, powerfully, heart-wrenchingly, when she joined here 20 years ago. Non-Christians come alive. Charlotte was a Christian. Nominal Christians come alive. Also, sleepy Christians start, walk, start waking up. Joey brought his uh, dressing gown in this morning. That was partially what was happening to Jonah in the belly of the fish, wasn't it? He was waking up to an immediate sense of God's love and love and presence. When you have nothing else, you look to God. Jonah 2 says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, You listened to my cry. I will look again toward your holy temple, because you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. I, with shouts of grateful prayers, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That's Jonah's great prayer. This sleepy religious professional going through the rituals, Yahweh worshipper, 
suddenly encounters God in his heart. Question, is God awakening you today? Spiritually, have you still got your dressing gown on? Finally, cities change as a result of revival. See verse 8, let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. That would have been a big thing for Nineveh. Nineveh changed, at least temporarily anyway. True revival not only produces lasting, lasting converts, but also raises the social and moral standard of a community. It makes it a better place to live. You know what? I think was it last year, Middlesbrough was voted as the worst place to live. We need revival. What a great opportunity. What a great town. What a great city, Teesside, to build a church. The sense of the presence of a holy God produces a deep conviction of sin which overpowers people and releases joy as they understand and receive God's forgiveness, acceptance, and very, very, very importantly, his assurance. Read Romans 8. We need that, don't we? Teesside desperately needs that, doesn't she? Governments need it. Boris needs it. Ben, Alex, Paul, and Andy, think about that, need it too. Our teachers, headmistresses, principals and lecturers need it. Our streets need it. Our journalists need it. Our nurses need it. Our artists and writers need it. Our clients and workers in the Hope Foundation need it. In Open Door, in Safe Families for Children, in Sparklers, in you and me. We need him. We need him. 1859, in one of the schools in Coleraine, in Ireland, uh, a boy came under the conviction so much that the te- of the Holy Spirit that the teacher sent him home with an older boy who had been converted only the previous day. On the way home, they stopped at an empty house to pray together. The troubled boy was soon rejoicing and said, I must go back and tell my teacher. With a beaming face, he told him, Oh, sir, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. The whole class was deeply affected, and boy after boy rose and silently left the room. When the teacher went to investigate, he found them arranged around the playground wall on their knees. Silent prayer gave way to loud cries, and prayer which carried to the girls' school on the second floor. Immediately, the girls fell on their knees and wept. The commotion carried into the streets. Neighbours and passers-by came flocking in, and soon as they crossed the threshold, they all came, all came under the same convicting power. They had to bring the ministers to help, and the day was spent leading young and old to saving faith in Christ. Meals were forgotten, and the work continued till 11 p.m. at night. Finally, I'm going to end with this quote from Dr. Tim Keller. No one can force a major revival to happen by pushing the right buttons. That is really important. 
God is sovereign because he is a God of grace. You can't merit a revival any more than you can merit your salvation. Yet I have seen over the years that when we earnestly seek God for his own sake, not for ministry success, and seek to be many cases of personal revival ourselves, positive spiritual dynamics begin to work in us and the church around us. I believe God has many more revivals up his sleeve before the final, ultimate revival, the ultimate spring after winter, when even the trees of the wood will sing for joy. Psalm 96. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for you and me so that all our scars and baggage and unbelief and walls and disqualification wouldn't hold us back. In his great love love for us, he took it all into himself. And dying, bleeding, humiliated and scorned, he bared all that should have been rightfully on us. That's what we broke bread about, remembering. In the greatest act of compassion and love the world has ever seen, he stayed on that cross, but he rose again. And he brings the victory of God into us and the world around us. What a joy. What an adventure. What a good God is he. I too believe God has many more revivals up his sleeve before the final ultimate revival, the ultimate spring after winter, when even the trees of the wood will sing for joy. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes a good amount of time just asking some of those questions that we've talked about revival. What is it? What is it in us? What mini revivals need to occur in us? What are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that God is speaking with you and me? that he wants to deal with this morning. What unbelief is there when it comes to changing the very landscape that we're in? I believe God wants to do something in us this morning as we think about revival. It's written all over the place and we can all get sometimes unhelpfully excited about it. But this morning, God is talking to each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of God, come. Spirit of God, why don't you just stretch out your arms, just as a sign, just as a sign, like, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. Spirit of God, come and meet us where we're at. Spirit of God, come and speak to us where we're at. Spirit of God, we want the mind of Christ. Spirit of God, wash over us right now, we pray. Spirit of God, encounter us this morning. 
We don't want these to be just your words or the Bible's words or whoever's words. We don't want these to be experiences that have just happened in the past and we can think, that was nice. Spirit of God, we want to really know your revival in our life now. Spirit of God, raise our faith for the things ahead. Spirit of God, fortify us for the journey ahead. Spirit of God, bring unity, bring community, bring love for one another strongly to us. Spirit of God, transform our prayer life. Nothing is impossible with you. Spirit of God, open our eyes to the big things that you have for Teesside, this nation and the nations. Spirit of God, prevent us from boxing you in. Spirit of God, deal with our skepticism and unbelief. Spirit of God, move us into action motivated by your beautiful grace. Spirit of God, root out legalism. A faith of works, not grace. Root that out, Lord, in our church. Set us free from that. Spirit of God, Give us the courage and the motivation and the discerning to reach out wherever you put us. Spirit of God, transform our universities. Transform the job center. Transform our town centers. Transform our villages and suburbs. Spirit of God, transform our hospitals. Transform our government buildings and bodies. Spirit of God, transform the nations who are at war. Spirit of God, transform our fear into faith. Robust faith in you, Lord Jesus. Spirit of God, we want to encounter you. We love you, Lord. We cherish you, Lord. We are so grateful for everything you've done. Why don't you take your seats? And the music's just going to play. If you're a visitor here, just bear with us just for a few minutes. You're very welcome to take part. I believe God could encounter anyone this morning. But let's just have some silence and think about, pray about, what does it mean?